Hi there, this is Cheryl Richardson, and um, I'm here for our weekly Facebook Live. And um, I'm looking forward to talking with you and coaching you and offering you some support. It's um, a beautiful day here in the northeast of Massachusetts. It's um, just a perfect summer day. Bright sunshine, blue skies, lots of green, and, um, and uh, lower humidity than yesterday, which was crazy, crazy humid. But it's really, it's really beautiful. Hi, Irene. Welcome. And hi, Terry. I'm glad you're here. Um, so yeah, feel free to, in the comments section, say hello. Let me know where you're from and let me know that you're here, or you can even send across a heart, thank you, um, or a thumbs up so that you let me know that this is coming through. Hi, Lisa, welcome. Top fan, Lisa. <laughs> I see that Facebook is doing that now where they're, um, they're coming up with some way to determine what they call top fans. There's Jessica, a top fan, and Lisa, welcome. Lisa Neptune from Florida. Um, so I think that's really, it's funny, every time I turn around, Facebook is doing something new. Hi, Meg, I'm glad you're here, and Suzanne, thank you, thank you so much. Hi, Rachel and Carrie, I'm glad you're here. Pam, welcome, and Catherine, Marilyn and from Seattle, and Irene from Glasgow. Irene, I'm so sorry, I heard about the fire over there at the Art Center, and, um, oh, I'm just so sorry. Uh, for just the loss of um, a beautiful building and um, just the just the tragedy of it all, I'm I'm um, sending lots of lots of love your way. I like I've been in Glasgow a couple of times and I love it there. Love Scotland. Hi Susie, glad you're here. And Sarah, welcome. And Ev, hello from the Chicago suburbs. Welcome to you and Joanne from Toronto. Hi Julie. And um, hi, Karen from Georgia. Welcome to you. And Victoria, I'm glad you're here. And Ursula, um, or, or is it Ursula? I just watched a movie the other day called, um, I think it was called Ladies in Lavender. It was with Helen Mirren and uh, Helen Mirren and Maggie Smith. It's it's really a girls' movie, and it's. Um, it's just a, it's a beautiful movie filmed in England, but one of the, the uh, actresses' names in the movie was Ursula. Um, Maggie, so Helen Mirren, not Helen Mirren, it wasn't Helen Mirren, it was um, Judy Dench, sorry, Judy Dench. And um, her name was Ursula, and so Maggie Smith kept, and I've always heard it as Ursula, and Maggie Smith kept saying, Ursula. Ursula, darling, come here. <laughs> I thought, oh, it sounds so much better that way. So anyway, hi from Ireland. Welcome to you. And hi, Diane. Um, yeah, we're on the same time. And Janice, welcome. I love you too, Victoria. And hi, Judy and Robin. I'm glad that you're here as well from upstate New York. And uh, Jack, hey, Jack. I'm glad you're here from Ontario. And uh, Jasmine, welcome to you from Cape Town. Glad you're here, and Kat Katerina from New Zealand. Boy, we have everybody all over the place. Hi, Jim. I'm glad you're here, too. Welcome to you. So, um, let's see. I uh, am going to take, uh, take your questions for some coaching in just a little bit. I wanted to tell you a little story. 
of something that happened last night that taught me a really important lesson. Sometimes, boy, life can really hand us difficult lessons, can't it? <laughs> difficult situations that teach us something important, especially if we're open. And, um, and this taught me something, although it wasn't, it wasn't the, the best case scenario, I'll tell you. Um, every now and then, at night, as some of you, if you've read my book, Waking Up in Winter, you know that I'm married to a vampire. Uh, my husband, Michael, is a night owl, and so very often we'll spend the evenings together. I'll go to bed, and he's just getting started. He's off to write or to work out or whatever, and he usually makes himself something to eat. And every now and then he will um, boil water for pasta. He'll make himself some kind of a pasta meal. And um, one night when he was making pasta, the, um, he had gone into the living room or gone upstairs into the bedroom for working on something and forgot about the pot and the water had boiled over when he remembered. He heard the water boiling over and he ran downstairs and grabbed it. And the next morning when I got up, I could see that water had boiled over and I said to him when, when I saw him later on that day, I was kind of angry and I said to him, you know, you need to be really careful. If you're going to put water on the stove, you need to stay there and you need to watch it and you need to, um, you know, make sure that you don't leave it there. We don't want to burn the house down. We don't want to, and you know, he would say to me, sweetheart, I didn't, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't, you know, I was only gone for a few, I mean, he would just start defending himself, understandably so, as I would be really upset. And um, so ever since that happened, every now and then, at night, if I see him put water on the stove, I always say to him, remember, you need to watch that, like, you know, like a mother. <laughs> you need to watch that. You need to make sure it doesn't boil over. I've probably done that a million times, not a million times, but a lot of times, um, because of that one time when water boiled over. And, um, and he's always defensive or he'll just sort of tune me out because I'm like a broken record at this point, right? So last night, um, I decided to make some hummingbird food, which is just sugar and water in a pan, boiled so that you boil out any of the bacteria, anything that might be in the sugar, and then you pour that, you let it sit in the pan until it completely cools, and then you pour it in a mason jar, and I put it in the fridge, and um, keep it there to feed the hummingbirds. So last night Michael and I were both in the living room and we were both working. He was right, working on his book and I was answering email. And so I had put four cups of water on the stove with some sugar and went into the living room and promptly forgot all about it. And um, we were there for quite a while working, uh, probably at least a half hour, when all of a sudden the smoke alarms started to go off in the house, which we had never heard before because we had never set them off. We've been here for 11 years and um, I'd never, thank God they work. They're, they're wired into the, the alarm system in the house. And all of a sudden the, the fire alarm starts to go off, smoke detectors go off. It's like a fire alarm. And I look down the hall and I see thick smoke billowing into the hallway. It could make me cry when I think about it. And I jumped up and Michael yelled, what's going on? And I went running into the kitchen and there was just smoke pouring. We have high ceilings in the kitchen all the way up to the ceiling. I ran over to the stove, pulled the pot off the stove, um, turned on the emergency fan so it would start sucking all the air, air out. 
And, um, you know, inside the pan was this hard, crystallized sugar water. I mean, I don't even know. It was like clearly it had bubbled up and then just solidified. And I was mortified. And, um, and it was horrible. The smell was disgusting. There was smoke all over the house. We had to open all the doors, all the windows, both upstairs and down. In our foyer, we have a double ceiling. So all the way up into the top of the ceiling, it was filled with smoke. And um, I just felt horrible. And I spent probably the next 20 minutes just trying to get the house aired out as best I could. And meanwhile, by the way, while this is happening, <laughs> nothing, ever, nothing ever happens just in one simple thing, right? While this is happening, there's a little mouse that somehow got in the house and is running all over the house. And I was trying to catch it earlier before this happened and I couldn't catch him. And um, so as I'm opening all the doors, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I hope I don't let more mice in and I, or I hope this mouse goes out. But I'm just feeling really horrible. And I walked into the, to the living room. Michael was back in there sitting down because we were away from the smoke and we were waiting for everything to get aired out. And he never said a word. He didn't say, I told you so. He didn't yell at me. He didn't make a sarcastic comment. He didn't say anything. Except, I'm really, really glad our smoke detectors work. Now we know, we don't have to worry anymore. And um, I sat there for a little while and then I started to cry and I said to him, I can't believe after all this time that I've given you shit about keeping, you know, staying by a pot of water that you're boiling on the stove, that I make this kind of a mistake and you don't say anything to me. And he said to me, why would I say something to you, Cheryl? It's not like you did it intentionally. It was an accident. I know you didn't mean to leave the pot there. Nobody ever means to do that. I've never meant to do that. It's just a mistake just an accident. And we all have them. We all make them. And um, what good would it do me to say anything? And I thought, you know, what I realized was a couple of things. First of all, and I don't know if you can identify with this or not, but what I was doing to myself in my head when I walked out of the kitchen, telling myself, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you didn't pay attention. You should have set an alarm. You know better. You've yelled at Michael about this before. You could have burned the house down. Um, you could have, I mean, you could have destroyed this beautiful place that we, I mean, just all of this stuff went through my head until I said to myself, okay, stop, stop. And I think this is important. This is what we need to do when we, um, when we catch ourselves really being mean to ourselves for things that are just mistakes or accidents. You know, I said to myself, okay, stop, cut it out. You made a mistake, let it go and just fix it. Fix, you know, handle the consequences. I realized when I was sitting with Michael and he didn't say anything, that so often when I'm critical and we're often critical to those closest to us, right? The people that we love the most, the people that we live with or share our lives with that a lot of times what I'm voicing to him, when I'm critical of him, it's really because I'm afraid and I'm just projecting my own inner critical voices out onto somebody else. Um, 
I realized last night, you know, there was always a part of me that, that didn't know if our smoke detectors would work. I've never lived in a house where they're wired in. I've always had ones with little batteries and you know when the batteries died because it beeps so you know it works. Um, so my fear had had me be critical and um, inappropriately so at times. And Michael's behavior, not his words, nothing he said, but his loving, accepting behavior not only taught me something about the importance of giving the people around us the benefit of the doubt and a break, but to also do the same for ourselves. You know, to pay attention to when we do something that's worthy of remorse or guilt or shame or uh, penance in some way, that's one thing. But so often we make mistakes or we have, we cause an accident, something that we just never do intentionally. And for those of you, like me, who are really hard on yourself, that can be really difficult because then you have to live with the voice in your head that berates you and beats you up because of it. So the next time you are angry at your spouse or your child or your grown child or your mother or your father or your siblings or your friends or a coworker or a boss, just stop and ask yourself, you know, just stop, take a few breaths and just notice what's going on for you first. Just ask yourself, hey, what's going on here? What's really going on? What do I need right now? Um, and is what I'm about to say or do actually constructive? Is it constructive in a loving way? Because that's truly how... It's the only way something can really be constructive is when we're able to communicate from an uncharged place and in a more loving way. Um, too often, and I know I've spoken about this before on Facebook Live, we get reactive and instead we start spilling our reactiveness onto others instead of really giving them the benefit of a doubt and taking a step back and, and noticing um, our own feelings and our own reactions and how, may, how they may be influencing what we're saying to somebody. So anyway, it was just a powerful lesson for me in how sometimes what we, we do can be a lot more powerful than what we say. Um, a powerful lesson in giving people the benefit of the doubt and paying attention to if you find yourself chronically criticizing certain people in your life, especially people that are close to you, I think it's really important to stop and ask yourself, what are you afraid of? What fear is driving that behavior to have you try and control somebody else, change their behavior, uh, influence them in some way? What fear, what is it that you're afraid of that's trying to, um, that's behind the need to control? Is really because every time I said to Michael don't leave a pot on the stove really I was just scared and I was trying to control the situation and make sure that he didn't do anything that put it put us at risk and the real fear underneath that the bigger existential fear that we all face and we especially face this as we get older is we have no control ultimately you know the we're all gonna leave the planet at some point in the end we really have no control except over our thinking and our presence in moment, every moment to moment of everyday life. 
So that can be applied, this, this sort of message can be applied in a lot of different places. You know, right now there's a lot of political turmoil in our country. There's a lot in the news about children being separated from their parents, for example. And it's one thing to have your reactions about it, and we all do. I know that I do. And it's another thing to take a step back, to breathe, to notice what you make that mean in your head on a bigger level, and then to just simply ask yourself, what am I going to do about it? What can I do about it in my own little world right now? What action can I take? Can I take to influence a better outcome? And I think a good action we can all take to, to begin to influence a better outcome in any situation is to um, take a step back and to really put ourselves into an adult frame of mind um, where we are looking at how our own behavior is driven by fear and uncertainty and um, a feeling of being out of control so that we can kind of restore that adult place and realize while in the end we don't have control over how long we stay here and um, I can't control you and you can't control me, we do have control over our own behavior, our own reaction to things. The, we have control over the actions we take to make the world a better place. And, um, and as women in particular, um, because I know there's a lot of women in this community, we have an enormous amount of power and influence but it begins by us recognizing it and owning it in our own lives. So anyway, that's my um, my little sermon for today. And um, today's my wedding anniversary too. 21 years I've been married to Michael and um, I feel grateful for him today for teaching me such an important lesson. And um, so anyway, let's see. Um, Let's see what kind of questions you have for me today. Um, I am happy to take your questions about anything, lack of control, fear, dealing with being married, the inner critic, um, all of those sorts of things. Um, yeah, okay. So I'm gonna look here. So go ahead and feel free to post a question in the comment section. I'll take the next 10 or 15 minutes to do that. Um, yeah, some people are talking about being critical. Um, let's see. Okay. Um, so let's see. Susan says, I'm having trouble letting go of worry about children being detained. Yeah have done everything I can, donate, written, called, sent toys, etc., but having trouble dealing with it. Yeah, Susan, um, you know, there reaches a point where if we focus on the bad news, of which there's a lot at times, um, if we over-focus on it, we actually aren't doing ourselves any good and we're not doing the situation any good. I think that... Um, one of the things I always remember, Susan, is that there is great power in prayer, in energy, in the thoughts that we put out into the universe. So in addition to practical action in the world, which I think is important and it's something that I support, it's, I mean, as a coach, it's a primary part of what I do is support people in taking practical action, donating money, writing, calling, sending what you, you know, doing whatever you can practically and I know Glennon Doyle is doing amazing work with her team and 
so many of my colleagues are writing about this and and taking action related to it so when you've done that and as you've consistently done that Susan then the next most powerful thing you can do is begin to grab a hold of your own self-care you know um, loving others caring about others begins with loving ourselves and caring about ourselves and it isn't I mean, here's the thing I want you all to know, and this is happening so clearly right now. Um, it's easy to become addicted to um, sensational news. And the news outlets, I mean, the days of just common, sane journalism are like gone out the window. And instead, what we're seeing on every network in every way our headlines and conversations over and over and over again um, related to all of the uh, pain and suffering. There is no good consequence that comes from subjecting yourself to that over and over and over again all day long. It's not good for anybody. We need strong, empowered people in their adult minds taking action in the world. And when you're scared, you're not in an adult place. We have a political system, both sides. I don't believe in a two-party system. I think, it's, I think it's an addictive system, black and white. I believe in conscious, intelligent people committed to their own growth and the growth of others, making the kinds of choices that need to be made to support all of us. And that means being an adult, putting yourself an adult in an adult state of mind. And so it's really important, sweetheart, that you stay away from the news and begin to notice that any time when the news, whether you're reading it or watching it or listening to it, whatever, start listening to spa music in your car. Um, go for a walk in nature, like get yourself away from, from the sensational news that keeps plugging in these old fearful neural networks that will keep you in um, a younger frightened state. And you'll be more powerful that way. You'll have a better voice. You'll do more good in the world that way. I promise you. I'm not talking about being uninformed. It makes me crazy when people say that. It's stupid. I mean, the people in my community are deeply loving, caring, engaged, um, supportive people who want good things in the world. You want that because, you know, self-care, self-love breeds a love for others and a caring about others. And so um, it's not about being uninformed. It's about being well-informed and being of the right state of mind so that what you say and what you do and how you behave, like I was talking about with the story about Michael, how you behave says a tremendous amount, um, sends a tremendous amount of positivity out into the world. So I hope that's helpful. Um, usually if we're plugged in and constantly worrying, um, it means you're watching too much news or you're just too plugged in. Um, and you need to get unplugged for a while, honey. You really do. It's the best thing for you to do. Um, okay, let's see. Ursula says, my mom is no longer a safe driver due to a heart condition and deteriorating sight, but she refuses to stop driving. She accuses me of trying to take away her independence when all I'm trying to do is save her life. How do I manage the situation? Um... This is a tough one, and I remember it when my dad um, 
sort of reached the point where he couldn't drive and he was fiercely independent and did not want his independence taken away. One of the things that I think sometimes you can do, Ursula, is um, say that it's temporary. Um, I think, first of all, this is another good situation where we want to stop, take a deep breath, and recognize that when we reach a point, you know, driving is symbolic of a profound independence for all of us, all of us who drive. And so if we can step into the other person's shoes and recognize, once again, this is a similar kind of thing, like, wait a minute, what does this really mean to my mom? And can I give her the space to talk about it? Can I give her the space to be with it? Can then I eventually maybe, um, maybe introduce it as a temporary solution? And also, can I have her doctor um, maybe intervene here? Because sometimes, you know, a doctor will basically say, it's no longer safe for you to drive. And it's better that it comes from them than from you because it's sort of like good cop, bad cop. They can be the bad cop and they can actually um, uh, write a letter stating that this person would be unsafe to drive, in which case you could maybe side with your mom and let her know that, yeah, you really appreciate that this is hard and that, um, that she's no longer, you know, she doesn't have the independence she wants and that maybe things will change, but right now we really need to follow what the doctor is saying. Sometimes that can be very helpful. I also want to recommend... I forget where you are, Ursula, but um, many communities throughout the different countries that we live in have elderly service places where they actually provide great guidance and support around um, this type of an issue because um, uh, it, it's happened before. So they can help you to put a plan in place and they can help you to communicate this information to your mom in a way that helps her to not feel like you're taking something from her, although you are. And this is what we have to remember, that taking away someone's ability to drive means we are taking something from them. We're also going to have to probably sit with some of the discomfort as she displaces her anger towards you when really it's just about, oh, I'm getting older and I'm losing things that I'm not going to get back. Um, it really invites our compassion, and I know that it can also be really hard, though, because, you know, sometimes when people get older and if they haven't done a lot of personal work, they can get pretty honorary. Pretty, I mean, my dad got pretty darn angry at me many times. So, um, so you need some good support for you as well, Ursula, as you go through this so that you can deal with that, so you can deal with her anger as well. Thank you for the, um, the happy anniversaries, everybody. I, I appreciate it so much. Um, so let's see. Um, so Diane says, my daughter had a baby last year and refuses to let me see her unless I do things her way. Any suggestions? Well, I don't know what those things are that she wants you to do her way, but I do know, Diane, that in the end, if she's the mom and it's her baby and you want to see the baby, you're probably going to have to do things her way. You're probably going to have to, there's a, probably this is going to be a beautiful opportunity for you to put your ego aside and let your soul be more in charge. And the soul wants connection and the soul, the, the wiser, more adult part of us, I always do this, I think of it as like this, the wise part of us sort of sits up here 
and looking through our eyes, right? The wise part of us um, wants to be able to, uh, can see beyond ego arguments and can look for a loving path toward connection and support. And so it might be Diane, I mean, I'm assuming she's not abusing her child. That would be an, obviously a different conversation, but um, she's trying to find her way, just like you were trying to find your way when you had her. And um, it might be that you need, to, you need to get humble and you need to go to her and say, look, you're the mom and I'm not, and I love you. And I don't wanna be controlling. I wanna support you in whatever way I can. And I really, really want to, um, I really want to see my granddaughter and I'm hoping that we can work it out. Um, otherwise it's just going to be a mess. I promise you. And you don't need that. Um, Teresa says, I feel that my mother judges me first, then loves me second. Please help. Well, Teresa, your mother's judgment has nothing to do with you and all to do with her. And if you go back and listen to the story I told about Michael, I was very judgmental about Michael, not being responsible, not paying attention, not, not, um, you know, not standing by the pot like I thought he should. Those, that, those were all very judgmental, critical ways of being. And, um, and they weren't about him. They were about me and my own fear and my own um, habits of mind that have me being critical, thinking that it's loving or supportive when in fact it's not at all. And so the next time your mother is judging in some way and you have an opportunity in a very charge neutral way, you might wanna just say to her, mom, what are you afraid of? Tell me what you're afraid of. Just like that, charge neutral, no, you know, no, Big deal about it, but mom, tell me what you're afraid of and just see what happens. Just for the heck of it. Think of it as an experiment. Let's see what happens. Um, okay. Let's see. I'm glad it's Yeah, so Margo says, I tell my husband not to listen to news every waking moment. He won't listen. Well, that's not your business, Margo. Um, you can let him know that you think it might not be in his best interest, but then you just need to make sure you're not in the room so that you're not listening to it every waking moment. Some people are addicted to the news, and some people, um, some people just have habits or ways of being that... Um, that they um, can't easily overcome and um, better to not judge them and instead take good care of ourselves. So I can appreciate, it's gotta be very difficult. It would be hard for me if Michael had the TV on all the time and was listening to the news all the time, I'd probably have to have a little sane come to Jesus conversation with him at some point. But in the meantime, I'd leave the room, make sure that I wasn't, um, um, exposing myself to it. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, lots of people as well. I see here. Yeah, Joel, Joel, I love this. Joel says, meditation is like turning off the news. That's actually very true. 
Same thing with um, social media as well. Yep, very important. Um, um, okay. Let's see. I'm going to just look for another question before... Um, You're welcome, Joel. Thank you for that. The news has become... Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. Okay, um, let's see. I have a question here. This will be my last one that I'll take. Um, Helen says, my mother is 92 and suffering with dementia. I don't know how to handle my emotions around this cruel disease. It is a cruel disease, Helen, and yet I'm going to... Um, I'm going to tell you a little story, a quick little story. I'm looking out my window here because I see a big deer. Oh my goodness. I wonder if I can, um, he's in the field or she's in the field, so you can't see her. I can just see her ears. Um, but if she comes out onto the lawn, I may, um, take the phone out of the stand here and cause something tells me there is a mother deer with a baby. I just, I can feel, I'm pretty sure one of my dears had a baby. Um, Helen, it is a real loss when, um, when a parent has dementia or Alzheimer's. And I remember one time my best friend, Max, at the time's mom had dementia and I walked in to visit her. She was visiting her mother at her house and I walked in and the TV was on and there was a ballerina dancing. And um, I said to Max, what are you watching? And Max's mother said, we're watching old movies of me dancing when I was younger. Did you know I used to be a ballerina? And, and I looked at Max, and Max looked at me, and she said, yeah, did I ever tell you my mom used to be a ballerina? And I got the message, and I said, oh, my gosh, no, I had no idea. And I sat down, and we watched the ballet together. And we realized in that moment, Helen, that um, as as difficult, Max said to me, as difficult as it was to see her mother in this state where she no longer um, recognized Max or her life, the world that she was in was um, a pleasant world for her right then and there. And so I remember thinking, you know, what if dementia or Alzheimer's is just the ability to enter into another dimension that we can't see? Now, that doesn't minimize the fact that it's a great loss for those of us who um, are with our loved one, loved our parent or friend or whatever, and suddenly um, we can't be with them the way that we've been with them before. And sometimes, Helen, I think it's a really good time to get the support of a good therapist, maybe even a grief counselor, where you can kind of work through your own process. Because especially if you're living with the parent or you're taking care of the parent every day, you're constantly confronted with this loss while at the same time needing to take care of them. And that's a lot. That's a lot. And so um, it's really important that we get support. And I think it's important that um, we get support both for our own feelings, our own loss, our own emotional experience, and also support for how we're going to care for this person. Because sometimes dementia and Alzheimer's isn't a pleasant ballerina thought. I know that when my um, when my grandmother had um, dementia, she was terrified all the time that people were trying to break into her home, 
and um, and that was very difficult for all of us involved, especially my dad. It was my father's mother, and so um, you know we live in a day and age where um, counseling is a little bit more acceptable than it was in generations before, and I think getting good support is very important. Um, I don't know where you live, Helen, but there's a wonderful Alzheimer's Association with great resources and support. I know that um, Lisa Gibbons um, has a wonderful association also. Um, if you look up Lisa Gibbons, L-E-E-Z-A, Lisa, who used to be on television, she's done wonderful work with um, Alzheimer and dementia patients with her, um, her community. Um, they provide lots of great support, and I think that that would be um, great resources for you as well. So I send you lots of love, and I'm going to put you in my whoops, where is it? I'm going to put you in my prayer book right now, right here, Helen. You and your mom. I'm going to write you in, and um, Helen and mom. And um, there you have it. I hope that. Um, I hope that you get the, the support you deserve. Yeah, somebody else here with Alzheimer's. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, Cynthia, you're saying that when you leave your mom, she starts to have panic attacks, which is, not, is another not uncommon thing. As people get older, panic is important. Um, and um, I do want to say to you, so let me just read this, okay. Mom has Alzheimer's. She's been deteriorating for six years. I've been cooped up in the house to be by her side. The minute she loses sight of me, she starts yelling and screaming, having panic attacks. So I spend every waking moment next to her. It started when I was 35, now I'm 44. Most people tell me to just give her Xanax and live your life. These are the kind of people who dropped out when I needed them. Um, okay, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I am gonna say this to you, Cynthia. You absolutely do need professional support for dealing with this. Being by your mother's side 24-7 is actually not a good idea for either one of you. And sometimes medication like Xanax can be the most loving thing you can do for um, a parent that's having panic attacks. It's actually better for the body um, because the panic attacks are keeping them in a constant state of adrenal fatigue. Um, but obviously you want to speak to a doctor, psychiatrist, your mom's doctor, giving their body and themselves a chance to be calm and slow down and um, to feel safe is a loving thing to do. And sometimes people, especially with Alzheimer's and dementia, need that kind of support. I'm not talking about drugging people into oblivion, but I'm talking about you know seeing your doctor and talking with your doctor about ways, seeing her doctor and talking about ways to help calm the panic it's not good for either one of you. And Cynthia, you need a break from your mother. I promise you that. You'll be a much better caregiver. And um, introducing other people into the family system while you're there is a good way to begin to help her feel safe. It's finding the right person with the right personality, um, the right nursing. Again, I don't know where you are. I know in um, the United States, Medicare can provide in-home nursing and care as part of Medicare benefits. Um, we use them for my dad as well. Finding the right people makes all the difference. So don't be afraid to go through a few different nurses before you find someone that can kind of just be kind and gentle and even joking with your mom. Um, uh, 
you know, can just help to build some relationship with somebody else so that you're not so, you don't get so burnt out because you've got to be burnt out by now. You've just got to be. And I'm putting you, I'm going to also um, put you in the prayer book too because, you know, I understand, Cynthia, you really need it. And you and your mom are going in right now, okay? All right, everybody. Um, thank you so much for being here. And um, I appreciate, I'm just going through looking here. Thank you for the, uh, the happy anniversaries. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, it looks like Helen and um, Janine and um, Cynthia, you all could maybe support each other. Wouldn't that be lovely? There's several people on this thread here that are dealing with elderly parents. And remember, it's a great way to use Zoom or Google Hangout or at the very least telephone support. It would be wonderful for you all to be able to um, get together and support each other just even over the phone to share your experiences. That could be really great. Um, okay, and um, yeah, there we go. Thank you, everybody. I'm... Um, I'm glad you're here with me. I'm glad that you show up each um, each week. And um, I wish you all the very best. Remember, be kind to one another. We need a lot of kindness right now. And um, limit your news. Limit your news, please. Be good to yourself, all right? Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful week. Lots of love.